welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Thank you guys so much for joining the show today. I'm very excited to introduce our guest. John Wessel is the Chief Technology Officer and Senior VP of Product and Digital for Freshwater Systems. And thanks so much for joining the show today, John. Hey, sure. Glad to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Freshwater Systems and the company, and then we're going to get into what it is that a CTO slash VP of Product and Digital do. Yeah. So it's interesting. We've been around a long time. Our first website in e-com was actually in 97, I believe. So we kind of zigzag back and forth between started out B2B, the office water cooler world, you know, before the 97 website. Then we jumped in on the web. Then we went back into the B2B with some pharmacies. And now we're back on the web and we're actually trying to do some B2B on the web now. So it's really been, it's been a journey. Yeah, that's great. And how long have you been with the company? You actually don't look old enough to me to, to look. No, no. So yeah, I wasn't there in 97. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't there in 97. So I've only been with them the last five years. So I've really jumped in and we um, kind of revitalized the web presence was one of my first first projects. Yeah, I love it. So tell us a little bit about this broad role. I've met a lot of different CTOs and you're the first one I think that I've met that kind of has an e-commerce angle so SVP of product and digital, tell us a little bit about all the different hats that you wear at the organization. Sure. Yeah, so I have an IT background. So primarily in analytics, a little got a little bit into database administration and some system administration years ago. Yeah. But so I came at it from an IT perspective because we really needed to, five years ago when I came in, needed to revitalize a lot of the IT infrastructure to support a growing business. It was all, you know, the site was started in the in 97. So it wasn't all that old, but some of it was was pretty old. <laughs> yeah. So we moved everything to the cloud. We kind of jumped on the Shopify bandwagon and some of the other. SaaS providers versus more of an on-prem, you know, situation. And then it evolved. We kind of took the route, this technology first route. We're a technology company. So rather than having a big marketing team, we had a really, you know, bigger IT team, smaller marketing team. It's where we've ended up. And that's where the e-com just kind of fell into IT. We do have a good content team, but that's kind of the route we've taken. So that's that's how we got the weird title. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I think it's actually super prescient too for your organization to kind of think about this. There are a lot of brands I feel like that I encounter that have gotten caught up on this digital transformation journey. And they're sometimes caught a little flat-footed because mm-hmm. you know you have people that are not IT people or technology people running these divisions that came sometimes from big pharma or CPG or whatever that really struggle to kind of like cross the Rubicon and change what they're doing. So I love that. And you mentioned a little bit about this notion of B2B to B2C to B2B again. Talk a little bit about some of the zigzag you know, journeys you guys have made as a company as you've embarked on that digital transformation and some of the pivots and big changes you've made that have maybe some have paid off, maybe some haven't. Yeah. So you know, starting out back in the late 90s with a website, B2C was the intention. And you're always going to have some smaller businesses, right? Purchasing, at least in our arena. But it's funny, part of being on the web actually brought us one of our biggest contracts, which was in the pharmacy area with some big names and servicing pharmacies. So that led to a whole division where we actually do service as a component of our offerings. 
and then come full circle this year we're looking to how do we better serve because we really have if you look at our breakdown it's a b2c site mostly but our breakdown of customers is you know 60 40 it's 60 40 by volume kind of more residential but if you flip and look at it by revenue it's 60 40 b2b you know 60 percent b2b and 40 percent residential so we want to we're looking at really carving those two up and trying to better serve each you know the b2b and the b2c and facing decisions like do you have two sites do you just have a custom experience depending on you know who's logged in and things like that so that's kind of our current where we are now so tell us a little bit about that pharmacy angle of the business. And it sounds like it's grown to be a pretty significant, significant mm-hmm. part of the business. What what was the need there and, and how did you guys kind of innovate to meet that customer need? I think it's fascinating. Yeah, we so yeah, we were actually approached due to some water quality standards, I think close to 15 years ago that were changing in the pharmacy you know, arena. People wanted to have a certain water quality to reconstitute antibiotics. So that was the genesis of it. You know, we got, were approached by one of the major chains. Then I think we we went out and pursued several other major chains. And really the pitch was always, you know, you, you need this output of a certain level of quality water. And we want to do kind of the most economical version of that, which is filtering it. So you could, you know, bring in distilled water or whatever type of water you needed in bottles or, you know, something like that. But we always took the approach of it's actually a lot more economical to just filter on site. And not only will we set up the filtration for you on site, we'll also service it. And it's kind of a hands-off white glove service. I think that's fascinating and really, I mean, never really occurred to me, but I think that reconstitution of antibiotics that you mentioned is like so important, obviously, that quality standard. And there are a lot of municipal areas in the country that just don't have, they have varying degrees of standards or aged infrastructure, whatever that looks like. I think to be able to capitalize that, you know, shift the business a little bit, pivot there is honestly what this podcast is all about is identifying innovators in the space that are doing interesting things. So you're a redistributor of other products. And so you've got from an e-commerce perspective, obviously your own site that you're probably selling those products. And then you've got your own brands or brand that you're selling obviously and manufacturing. How do you think about the strategy on that front on everything from your own .com and D2C to maybe international and for sure marketplaces or even retailers like Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever. How do you kind of align and think about the rationalization of those different channels and how to go to market across your own brands plus others' brands? Yeah, we can talk channels first. So we're on Amazon, you know, Walmart, a couple other marketplaces, and we've got our Shopify site. And it's really challenging. Just let's strictly talk price to start with. You know, you've got Amazon, which is typically really competitive via price when you got your own site. So you would think you probably typically want to be, you know, priced under Amazon with your own site. You know, you get that long-term value. You get sure. we, we sell subscriptions to certain replenishables on our site, which is the strategy we, we typically take. But then you end up, you know, if you're doing paid advertising, you can end up with, you know, Amazon bidding on paid advertising on Google and you're bidding and it's actually you on Amazon. And then like, do I want to get in a bidding war on this product? Like it's, it, it gets really challenging. So I don't know if there's not an easy answer, you kind of have to be careful and especially like just watch those really high moving products. I think for us, marketplaces are actually really great for lower moving products on our site, just because the audience is so much bigger. Sure. So say you're going to move. I don't know, 15 units a month on your own site and you can put it on a marketplace and double or triple that. That's a really nice offering, but it can get challenging, especially with the pricing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I guess from a D2C perspective, how have you tried to rationalize on your own site, you know, when to feature your own products versus feature mm. products of others and just kind of almost like that assortment conundrum? Yeah. How do you how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. I mean, we've always from a content and brand perspective, we try, I mean, just try to take as neutral approach as possible of like, Hey, we're just trying to help you identify the best value for your dollar and the best fit for your application. So I, I tell a lot of people, our site's a little bit like shopping the Lego store, but with just the Legos, right? Like all of these, you know, plumbing and other parts can be configured a million different ways in a million different applications. And when somebody comes to you and is buying X part, you have no idea the application by what they're buying. Cause it can be so such a generic let's say tubing. So this is just, you know, tubing that water runs through. We have no idea what they're doing with that tubing. So that's part of the challenge. But I guess the good part is just trying to list things in a way, put things in like a bundle, you know, tubing with, you know, some other thing that has to do with like brewing. Like if you're a home brewer, you might buy tubing and fittings and some things from a suit of home brewing. So we put a kit and then you can kind of, if somebody buys the home brewing kit, then you can determine intent and then you can get better at you know, merchandising things that are best for that and giving them the, the most value. So we try not to be too pushy. We have some competitors that are very like in your face house brand, like it's all over everything and you can hardly even find the alternative. So we, we try to keep it more neutral, you know, yeah. territory. No, I love that. I think that's some really great. And I love thinking of using what data you have about them or what search words they came in on or whatever to kind of like create a framework that allows you to make more personalized recommendations. So maybe you can kind of speak to, because again, if you kind of have this background of data, maybe data science and analytics, and you're coming into this and trying to create the most value on the site, like that sounds like a pretty good strength. Maybe tell us some about things you feel like you've done well from an e-commerce perspective and the strengths sure. you've brought to bear. And we can talk about some of the opportunities that may exist out yeah. there. I think for us, I mean, we went through a major transformation. Like I said, the site was aging for sure back three, four years ago when I first started. So we put in a product information management system and that was a good foundation for us. You know, it decouples your e-com site and your marketplaces from how you're managing your products. And that was a really good move for us because then when we onboard a new marketplace or you know potentially say we spin up a new site in the future it's all decoupled it's good from a technology standpoint it's good from a data management standpoint so that was a big one other things i think we do well we spend a lot of energy on search of 25,000 plus SKUs. wow so if you can't find it you know <laughs> what good is it so we try to keep search front and center try to do a lot of work on having facets and filtering that makes sense depending on the context. Those would be two, I think, two that we've spent a lot of effort on. Yeah, I love that. For the PIM that you implemented, did you kind of build something in-house? Did you use, you know, something like a sauce fire or something like that? What what is Yeah. Your- but we didn't know we looked at we looked at building lightly at building something in-house. But yeah, we want to salsify. So that's and how's that work? Yeah, yeah, it's a good tool. Honestly I mean, it hasn't been that many years. I guess it's been three or four years. There was not much out there. And I, I mean, I've looked recently and it's that area has exploded. So they've been good. The, my only like slight hesitation in my voice is, is pricey. <laughs> so if you're a small company or mid-size, you can probably 
you know, um, get by with something else. But if you have high aspirations or you're a little bit larger company, I, I think they're probably the best. Sure. Yeah, no, I know they've received a lot of investment and honestly, their platform has grown quite a bit. And it years, has, yeah. In the last two years, uh-huh. you know, it's been a lot of investment there. So, but you're right. It's a, it's a space that's heating up quite a bit. And even I think yeah. even covers that space now as well. Mm-hmm, exactly. And especially I think is, I don't know if you have a separate digital asset management platform, but I know the way that those two kind of speak together. Some dams mm-hmm. have a PIM try like piece of it or some PIMs have a right. aspect. And so it's it's yeah. hard to know where you're gonna lean. But uh yeah certainly yeah, we, we, yeah. we went the all in route. We just, you know, went because Allspy has that digital asset management component yeah. too. So we just keep it all in one place. And I think that was another positive for us. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're Again, to your point, you got such a massive catalog you have to manage, try to extend that catalog out into other marketplaces or on your own site. Yeah, it can be pretty tricky. You mentioned a lot of content investment. Like, what is that? Obviously, yeah. content leads into ranking on SEO, et cetera. What does your content team kind of focus on? What does the evolution of that look like for you? Yeah. Well, I joke with people that we, we know the secret to SEO. So you just have to ask us, we know what the secret is. Um, <laughs> And it's fun. And for us, and I think it's probably true for anybody, the secret is well-researched, well-written, long-form content that's informative. So we just put in, you know, my um, SEO team, I mean, writes 5,000 plus word posts that are researched and documented. And then we're in a more technical space. And so, and we've just had a lot of success with that. It's people reading it. And then obviously you get your comments going and stuff. And that's, you know, where we've, found a lot of success with SEO and content such that I think we're an e-commerce site. And I think that like 70% of our traffic is to the blog versus like the other pages. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's huge. Cool. So great innovation. Let's talk about opportunities or, or sure. some of the that kind of keep you up at night or nag on you. What are some of the challenges yeah. innovating in e-commerce in your space specifically? Pricing. Pricing is huge right now, especially as a redistributor which is significant enough for us. Just, you know, supply chain is completely disrupted. We're dealing with our vendor partners, getting things in from overseas on some occasions and things getting delayed for month after month after month. Then when they do get in, you've got cost increases. And then you kind of have the dynamic marketplace where some people may have fallen asleep at the wheel pricing. So you have maybe have competitors that are unintentionally just selling through it. What's going to be, a really lower negative margin because they haven't had to replenish their stock yet. So it's just it's just a weird time when it comes to price because there's so much volatility. It's so a challenge. More to the to the actual manifestation of this challenge. Is it mostly just that pricing's all over the place? Because as you mentioned before, like the loaded the landed costs or the loaded costs have not really caught up with the replenishments. Mm-hmm. So people are really liquidating inventory that they didn't pay much more, but now costs have been super volatile. Is it mostly just meeting some level of price uniformity and stability across different channels? Yeah. Some of the set, like pricing on Amazon is actually fairly easy and that it's all kind of in one ecosystem. And if you win the buy box, you sell, you know, multiple times more than if you don't. So there's kind of like that easier target of like, if I actually want to move this, I need to win the buy box. Outside of that, it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit messier. We spend a lot of time collecting data on pricing from Google and other sources and 
parsing through that data and figuring out is this data point on pricing an outlier? Is this something going on here that we're not aware of? I mean, that part's just, it's just killer. And as a redistributor of other brands' products, I'm guessing you sell some of those on Amazon as well. Like, do you ever run head to head against them selling their also on their product on their branded storefront or through Amazon 1P or something? Or do they largely leave a lot of the filtration products to you guys to sort out? Yeah. So companies have taken a lot of different approaches. Some are like, get, I don't want to be anywhere near Amazon. I don't want anything on Amazon. And, you know, obviously we respect that. Some of them designate like an Amazon seller. Because a lot of these, a lot of in our industry, almost none of the manufacturers want to be in the business of distribution. So they're not looking at doing any like direct to consumer, you know, or direct to business. You know, they want to work through wholesalers and redistributors for various reasons. So we haven't run too much into competing direct with a manufacturer. But to be honest, I'm kind of surprised we haven't because Amazon makes it so easy because yeah. if you were to call up Amazon and you're a manufacturer and you want to work with them, you know, you just ship it by the pallet load to Amazon and they'll do all the work. So I think it's probably coming, to be honest, but we actually haven't run into that too much. Interesting. And maybe before we close off and head to more of the B2B focus <clears throat> this discussion, I noticed that you guys have your own Seller Central account or, you know, kind of authorized seller account, which is great. Do you do most of your volume through there or do you have any kind of, you also just mentioned shipping on pallets to Amazon, allowing mm-hmm. them to kind of buy from you. Do you have any one piece out of your businesses or is almost everything you do on Amazon just straight through your own seller storefront? Yeah. So on Amazon, we actually pretty much exclusively do the fulfilled by merchant program is what it's called. Yep. So we're actually physically shipping out of our warehouses. Amazon just provides the listing. So we really don't get into selling direct to Amazon, really the FBA where Amazon does the fulfillment. There's a little bit of space in FBA where it might make sense for us to partner with them on that. But for the most part, it's you know fulfilled by merchant is what we do. And is that because you want control of the pricing? Is that because you have so many SKUs that it just you have such a long tail, it doesn't really make sense to ship in FBA? Help listeners understand sure. the process you went through to kind of arrive at the strategy you chose. Sure. So F, what is it called? The vendor central, I guess, is where you're selling direct to Amazon. It's not yeah. consigned. Amazon actually owns it. I've shied away from that just from a, yeah, lack you lose control, right? And then Amazon comes back and wants better pricing and comes back again and wants better pricing. Then, you know, eventually it's... So we've stayed in the other, you know, FBA, FBM more. The reason to be more on the FBM side is until Amazon really upped their game when it came to fulfillment with Prime. Because, you know, this past year, Amazon's required this one day radius that I think is unattainable for most people to do FBM and be prime. Totally. And we were actually prime and FBM for a good while. Yeah. And I unfortunately haven't been able to continue that this year. But it, so yeah, it's, it's the control. A lot of the stuff we, a good number of things we sell are, they're large. So shipping, I mean, sometimes we're selling tanks or, you know, yeah. larger pumps. That doesn't necessarily make sense for FBA, but some of the smaller things, you know, FBA probably especially if it's coming in like a single pack, probably makes sense for FBA and we we may end up expanding that in the future. For, I mean, has it really hurt you guys not to A, B prime or not to be able to hit those types of prime delivery windows? Or do you feel like with your buyers, they're largely okay if they get it in two or three days versus same day or whatever? Have you kind of seen any kind of fun because of that? In our industry, I don't 
Well, in the mid-market and this kind of like plumbing water filtration industry, there's not anybody that's doing like two-day, one-day that I'm aware of. I mean, some two-day, obviously, no one-day, except for you've got your um, like Home Depots or something that you know can do same-day delivery. But we tend to have more specialty products. If you go into Home Depot on like the plumbing aisle or you look at fittings or something like that, they have just a small fraction of what we would have. So we, we have a lot of those specialty things. But the standard's coming, right? Like you're going to see Amazon and Home Depot and others do the one day and then eventually more and more people are going to expect it and you, you have to figure it out, right? Yeah, no, so. it's, it's very hard. So maybe back to that same question. <clears throat> you guys have a massive South Carolina facility. I noticed on your website, you opened one not too far from us, actually at Salt Lake City. Do you mostly just ship out of that main fulfillment center slash warehouse in South Carolina or there are other big facilities of which you ship through to kind of get that two-day radius you talked about? Yeah. So the shipping radius is pretty strong actually out of the South Carolina two-day. If you kind of think of like, I think it's kind of like the hurricane corridor is where like our two-day gets cut off coming from east to west. And then Salt Lake City two-day can, you know, can cover most everything, you know, Salt Lake City and West sure. in two days. Yeah. But the Salt Lake City, anything bigger, heavier, the really ground shipping is far preferable versus like a two-day. So again, large pumps, large systems, you know, tanks, those are all where would be in Salt Lake City. And then just in general, we try to stock the two warehouses based on where our customers are. So ideally you order from West Coast and you get shipped from Salt Lake City. Ideally, you were East Coast and it ships from South Carolina Warehouse. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, again, I, I'm really interested on this B2B slash B2C dynamic you talked about. I want to spend a little bit more time getting into that. And it just strikes me, you don't have to disclose this if you, if, you know, it's confidential or whatever, but that 40-60 split you mentioned, you, you kind of see a lot of the same trends on e-commerce as well. Do you kind of you do you see people? I guess some of your professionals. I've got to think a lot of your folks that are plumbers or you know whatever working out in the field might even use e-commerce as its own almost like distributor. Like instead of calling their distributor, mm-hmm. up, they're right <clears throat> you speak to any of those trends that you're seeing there, and yeah. it's remained relatively steady, or if you're seeing any kind of changes or upsets on that front. Yeah. I don't know if I have enough data for a true trend, which I have to say because of my background. However, you know, I did have a dinner with a friend a couple of weeks ago and his dad's a plumber, you know, has been a plumber for 30 years plus. Yeah. I mean, he was just telling me about his dad sits on Sunday nights on his iPad. And uh, I guess it probably have to be Friday to get him there by Monday. Anyways, sits at night on his iPad and just orders stuff on e-com and then everything arrives for the week on his you know, front porch boxes from wherever he could get the best price. He doesn't have some, you know, one relationship with a supplier. He just price shops and it arrives on his porch. So I think that trend will continue. So he's really using e-commerce as a distribution function versus the traditional, you know, tier tier distribution structure that so many manufacturers utilize. Yeah. And it's worth his time to have to price shop between a lot of different people or he sees it as worth his time to get the best pricing. Because it's, you know, it's money in his pocket. It's his business. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, you look at true B2B industries, whether it's refrigeration products, plumbing products, railroad ties. I think about McKesson. I think right. about Ranger. I think about all these huge, you know, companies out there. And it's interesting to understand or foresee what's going to happen with 
you know, these really big fluke. I mean, the, the, the number goes, the list goes on of these really entrenched businesses. I remember visiting Amazon, man, it's been a couple of years now. And they were telling me that their B2B business was the largest opportunity they've ever had as a company and the fastest growing. They said it's even mm-hmm. bigger than AWS. And they saw it as a, mm-hmm. I want to say it's a trillion dollar opportunity from their vantage point. If they were to crack the code, you have this rise of millennials getting into position yeah. saying, wait, I'm not going to order from some distributor, only get this type of a discount, wait six weeks before I get it, order mm-hmm. from a catalog. Like it just it felt so antiquated to that generation that they're just like, I'll just buy it on Amazon. And pretty soon right. you will be able to start buying, I don't know, railroad equipment or yeah, you know, sure. hands and MRIs off of these types of sites. But I think, you know, we're still in the early days of what this is going to look like and how it's going to get disrupted. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Of, you know, is Amazon just going to win by yeah. default because they own the mind share and the credit card accounts with the millennials anyway? Or is there some type of Trojan horse here that's going to win on the B2B fronts? Or is it D2C? Like, I'd love to just hear thoughts on that front. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Amazon front's interesting. So as an Amazon seller, you can actually see what you sold B2B versus B2C, like on the back end. So if you look at your reporting, I mean, we've seen the growth of B2B, you know, over the last couple of years on Amazon. I mean, that's been a huge growth. So much so that, you know, I mentioned um, we were doing Prime for a while with um, Self-Fulfilled Prime. We really haven't seen a drop-off revenue-wise this year, even though we're not doing that. And it's because of the, well, one of the reasons is that B2B, you know, category in Amazon. So I don't know. I think you have to, I think you can beat Amazon when it comes to content, but you're never going to beat them when it comes to, you know, distribution or pricing or a lot of those things. So our strategy has been for B2B, custom experience, custom content, education, all of that support, right? You're not going to get good technical support from Amazon. Absolutely. That's been our strategy. And we want to even further tailor it to B2B in the future, because I think that's a big opportunity. Yeah, I love that. Man, so fascinating and really so much to cover. I think it's such a a nice an emerging area within the way commerce is handled. You're starting to see a lot of, you know, narrowing in and it's getting feel, it feels like it's getting dialed in from a consumer perspective, but business feels wide open. I guess there are some categories like grocery, et cetera, that, you know, the code is not totally cracked and even like, you know, delivery services on food and stuff like that is, is kind of exploding. And there are a lot of folks in the ring that are trying to get their, you know, their pound of flesh there too. So Okay. So, I mean, you talked about long form content, SEO, really focusing on the search. Tell us a little bit about, especially since you own kind of the IT stack, I'm guessing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other areas of the digital exchange with customers. I don't know if that's reviews, maybe email marketing, Mm -hmm. website releases. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's on your mind on that front and where you're investing return. Yeah. As far as email goes, I think that's been something that has been a little bit of an evolution for us. I kind of joked with the team, and I think this might still be true, that in email, um, you can get really deep into A-B testing and like oh, and design and all this stuff. Yeah. I told the team, do the testing, you know, do the optimization, 
but the touches, I mean, email is still about touches. If yeah. you don't send the email, nobody's going to open it, right? Totally. So, so we've seen a lot of things where we really felt like you invest a ton of time and a ton of energy into an email versus like you just do a touch. I mean, there's some level of quality and right. there's not a big drop off, at least for us. So that was a learning of don't over-engineer in emails because we're just spending a lot of because, you know, we're really into contents. So we're trying to craft all this content emails. And then I just told the team, think about how you read emails. Do you, do you carefully read, you know, and read these? Like, you're not going to like, maybe, but probably not. So we kind of actually dialed that back and we're able to invest less time and, and see similar results for email. I don't know. I mean, that that's. And what about the website yeah. releases? What, like, what do, what do you guys yeah, think yeah. in terms of waiting on the web front? Yeah, this has been an interesting experience for me. I told you we're really light on kind of traditional marketing talent. My development team can pretty much keep pace with the marketing design team. Like they'll do something wow. and, the, and the team can get it out like in a sprint, you know, two week, maybe four weeks. So that's been a really cool, you know, experience where I think I would imagine most companies I've worked with the opposite, right? Your marketing team and your designers, you know, they're probably like three three years ahead of ideas and designs and your, your IT team's like struggling to keep up. But it's actually been a really positive of having this technology first team and going slow, adding in marketing resources where the, they're pretty well paired and they're going to do, they're on track to do 52 releases or no, I'm sorry. They're doing like twice a week. They're about a hundred, a hundred releases this year. But some of those are small bug fixes, but that's just a testament to, and I have an awesome IT director. Right? I'm not doing all this alone. It's just a testament to that that cadence and that discipline, being yeah. able to get bug fixes. Tons of testing has gone into it. It's e-com. When the site's down or something's wrong, you lose money and it's hard dollars. It's not users you know, that are frustrated. It's real money. So they've done a lot of work with um, automated testing, which has been a huge component of being able to release quickly. Yeah. I love that, man. So many good things. So a lot of different areas we could kind of focus on. Maybe we can just start to wrap this up and help you know, listeners understand if you have someone that's kind of in a similar space, right? Straddling some level of B2B and B2C yeah. and trying to navigate everything from marketplaces to e-tailers to their .com. Like what recommendations would you have? What are what are some of the things that you've learned or tested out? And we've covered a handful of those, obviously, during this time. But any other major recommendations you might want to leave with folks on this front? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of it, obviously, is going to be custom to what space you're in and what, what your core problems are. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess I'll speak to being a redistributor. And this might apply to people that are new and doing um, wholesale drop shipping or things like that, which we typically, we're, you know, 98% stocking in warehouses. But, but I think in that space and, you know, pricing is really important. Getting exposure, being on all of the, you know, there's obvious things like Google shopping, you know, being in all the different feeds, but doing a little bit of research and getting, seeing if you might find kind of an odd, like a lesser known space where you can kind of dominate. Because we've we haven't had any like amazing success stories, but we've been in some different marketplaces over the years that were smaller. I mean, people laugh that like we're on Bing, we're doing you know, we're doing things like that where it's there's no miracle out of there. Like you know, Amazon's going to be Amazon and Google Shopping. Like that's where the money is. Like I don't I don't think there's any secret. But you but you can have kind of incremental success and like you know get on Walmart, you know get in Bing, do a little bit of advertising on Bing, things like that where it's not. And depending on your tooling, 
there's not necessarily a lot of extra effort to do it, I guess is part of the. Yeah. That recommendation I think is spot on. And honestly, it's hard. And sometimes if you're somewhat impatient to see all the gains that you're going to make, and this equally applies right. to, you know, advertising to merchandising and being on these different sites to SEO, right? Like SEO is this very mm-hmm. long term kind of proposition, but then you start to see these movements after you've put in this Herculean effort yeah, right. in place. And all of a sudden, you know, like to your point, you got 70% of your traffic is coming from these efforts <clears> that, you know, you wouldn't have existed if you didn't have the forethought or the foresight to really start planting some of those seeds. And yeah, I think you're right. Like you just never know. It's not completely apparent to me that Amazon is just going to win the B2B space. And so you do have to plan right. your own.com and on email marketing and on the, you know, the Google shopping and then on Amazon and maybe some other emerging platform that's coming out. That's going to kind of yeah. win because they just crack the code on B2B. Um, yeah, well, Alibaba's getting in that space in the U.S. We've talked to them some recently, and they want to play in that B2B U.S. space. Yeah, yeah, nothing is out of reach for them. And it's interesting, I mean, Amazon completely pulled out of China, but you're right, Alibaba's pounding at the door. Of They're coming, yeah. And coming after it. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. Well, John, I want to take too much of your time today. This has been riveting to learn yeah. about the business and more how you're straddling these different challenges. And I'm sure that our audience, especially if they're kind of in a similar paradigm, that they're going to learn a lot from what you guys have put together. And again, really appreciate your time today and look forward to having you again on the show in a little bit and see how yeah. it's Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. All right. See ya.